Well, it's so good to see all of you here this morning. I hope that God has already spoken to your heart. I know that he has something great in store for us this morning. So what I want to do is just start with a word of prayer and us just kind of bathe the time around God's word in prayer. And then we have something very important that's going to take place right after prayer this morning. All right. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day that you have blessed us with how awesome and great you are. We thank you for the wonderful message and song that Amanda shared with us and how you use that and worked through her to speak into our hearts and our lives. We are so very grateful that we are yours and you are ours and that we can come before you as your people. We can always lift our voices up to you in prayer and know that you are going to hear us. So Father, this morning as I come before you, I just want to acknowledge that um, I'm inadequate, Lord. I can't do it on my own. Lord, I need you to speak through me to your people. So Father, I pray, I ask that you would just give me power through your Holy Spirit, that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord, that you would be lifted up. Because Lord Jesus, you tell us if you be lifted up, you will draw people unto yourself. And so, Father, that is the desire of our heart. The desire of our heart is to magnify the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Indeed, you are Lord, and you have the right to be Lord of our lives this morning. So, Father, guide us and direct us as we open your word. Give us wisdom from your Holy Spirit that would guide us in understanding your truth. And then, Father, help us to make right application of it for our lives today. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you've been with us the last several months, you know that we are doing something significant here at Crestwood. We are in the midst of reading through the Bible chronologically. Part of our reading through the Bible chronologically is something significant happens every fourth Sunday of the month. I see some people are very excited about that this morning. I see others that look a little sad. And so, but this is what I want you to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're a visitor with us this morning, you are welcome to join in with us if you know the verse of Scripture. But part of our desire as God's church is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to take His Word and to hide it in our hearts. So I'm going to give us a one, two, three count, and we're going to say our verse of Scripture together this morning. One, two, three. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Amen. All right. Very good. You may be seated this morning. If you are a child going to Treehouse, you feel free to jump on your way right now. Now, I will say this. I heard one excited individual. I think they were up in the balcony. I, don't, I can't call a name. It sounded like it wasn't an adult. Maybe it was a child. Maybe we could learn. Oh, maybe it was out here. Oh, it was our group of children out here. Very good. Sarah, with our children's director, leading our children in our verse of memory, right? Our memory verse. They were way out in front of me, so tell them they helped the pastor because I missed a word in the first service, all right? 
All right. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I've been looking forward to this Sunday. I always look forward to Fourth Sundays because it gives us an opportunity to come together and really focus our attention on our chronological Bible reading plan that we're going through. How's that working out for you? You doing well? You staying with it? I shared with you I was going to be your greatest cheerleader every week. Now, I will let you know a little something. They say confession is good for the soul. Isn't that true? Well, you know, my family and I, we didn't do so well this week. So yesterday at my mother's home, we had to turn off the football game And we had to read four chapters of the book of Exodus. And you want to know something? It was tedious. Yeah, it was just one chapter after another of build the tabernacle this way. And when you make the clothes for the priestly, for the priest, make them this way. And make sure you do this. And make sure you do that. All of these instructions given by God to the nation of Israel. And as I walked away from those four chapters, I thought to myself, what in the world does this have to do with our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever thought any of that? Have you ever read some of those passages in the Old Old Testament? And you're like, oh my goodness. I mean, it's just one law after another. Don't eat this, eat that. For instance, like us, I always like this one, don't boil the baby in the mother's milk. Now, you know they're referring to a goat, right? They're not referring to like our, our human babies. Or, uh, you know, don't shave the side of your head. And as I look around you, I don't see any of us that have long hair. And I just think to myself, what in the world is God trying? Am I the only one that's ever thought that? Oh, I just want to make sure I'm not alone. I, I have. But can I tell you something? All of those things we find in the Old Testament teach us something very significant about who God is. Have you ever noticed the specific detail instructions that God gives the children of Israel? When you build the tabernacle, you build it this wide and this high. When you make the priest clothes, make sure you put these stones in the ephod, which was a breastplate that they wore, and make sure you make them exactly like this. Through each one of those instructions in the Old Testament, God is giving us a glimpse of who he is. And this is what he wants us to know. First and foremost, he wants us to realize he is a God of order. He is a God of order. There is a God of chaos and disorder. He is our enemy. But God, when God does something, he is always specific in his instructions to us. And it shows part of his character that God is a God of order, not of disorder. Do you know the other thing it teaches us? As we look at all of these instructions given to Israel about worship, get this, because I think we're missing this in modern-day Christianity. There is a right way to approach God. There is a wrong way to approach God. We've lost that. To the point where sometimes people come together in a flippant manner toward their worship to God. 
But I would tell you, when we read Scripture, it is very clear. There is a right way to approach God and there is a wrong way to approach God. And we should never ever approach God in a wrong way. That worship of our Lord is something God takes serious. When we come to God's house and our mind is on the ball game or our mind's on what we're going to eat when we're finished with worship service or how long the service is going to last or can you believe what that person uh, wore in worship today? Can I suggest to you that God is not pleased with our worship? That our hearts are very far away from God. You ever noticed how many times God tells the nation of Israel that? They would come and they would offer sacrifices and he would say, my people's heart is very far away from me. You know why? They didn't approach God in the right way. When we have unconfessed sin in our lives and we come into the presence of God, we're approaching God in a flippant manner. As a matter of fact, I would tell you this morning, when we approach God in that way, everything we do falls on deaf ears because our heart is not right with God. So as we look at those stories in the Old Testament, they teach us so much about what God desires of our lives. As a matter of fact, I would tell you this morning, you can't fully understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. The New Testament finds its fulfillment in the Old Testament. Christianity finds its fulfillment in Judaism. That's the reason why the writer wrote the book of Hebrews under the inspiration of God. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter and the first verse, the writer says these words, The law is a shadow of that which is to come. Jesus Christ would go on to say in Matthew, the fifth chapter, that he did not come to do away with the law, but bring fulfillment to the law. How many of you men have ever made this statement, my wife completes me? Have you ever made that statement? I have on more than one occasion. That's what Jesus Christ was saying about the Old Testament. I complete the Old Testament. You can't understand the Old Testament if you don't understand who I am because everything in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in me are the words of Jesus Christ. The law, the sacrificial system, the feast, and the festivals that we read about in the Old Testament are all made complete in the death, burial, and resurrection and life of Jesus Christ. One such story is the story that we're going to look at 
this morning. Another aspect of our reading through the Bible chronologically is every fourth Sunday I shared with you in our time of worship, we are going to focus either on some themes that clearly teach us about the redemption of God and help us to better understand His redemptive plan, or we would focus on stories or a passage of Scripture or a feast and festival that clearly allows us to see God's unfolding plan of redemption as we work through the Word of God. One such is the one found in Exodus, the 12th chapter. If you have your Bibles there, I would ask that you open them to Exodus, the 12th chapter. This is one of the great passages of Scripture, great stories that is found in the Word of God. This is the story about the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb. Now let me give you a little bit of the context of this story. If you go back to chapter 1 of the book of Exodus, you will find the Hebrew people, eventually they will become the nation of Israel, you will find them in slavery in Egypt. God calls Moses to be the deliverer of his people, and he gives a message to Moses, and he tells Moses, take this message to Pharaoh. And the message is very clear. It's a very simple message. God says through Moses, This is God's desire, Pharaoh. Let my people go. Each time, God would send a plague against the nation of Egypt. Each time it would say, Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. Nine plagues in all until we come to the very last one, the tenth plague. God tells Moses, you go to Pharaoh and you tell him this is what's going to take place. The death angel is going to pass over the nation of Egypt. And when the death angel passes over the nation of Egypt, he's going to strike dead the firstborn male in every child. But God out of His grace and His mercy, makes a provision for the nation of Israel. This is the provision He makes. He says, this is what you do. You take a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, that's without spot or blemish, and at twilight you kill that lamb. You collect His blood and you place it on the doorpost and the lintels of your home. And when the death angel prepares to pass over, the blood of the Lamb will serve as a substitute for the firstborn in every family. This morning as we read through this passage of Scripture, I just want to point out a few of the details that God gives the children of Israel because I believe in these details we get an opportunity to see a glimpse of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as I read these, I just want to point out a few of them. And then at the very end of this message, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to make some application for our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Have you ever read an Old Testament passage of Scripture and asked yourself, 
how in the world does this apply to my life? Well, I think through this particular story, we're going to see some applications we can make. Listen to what he says here, beginning in verse 12, I mean chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all of the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb." Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Oh my goodness, when I read these opening verses of this passage, do you just see all of the details and the instruction that God has given to the children of Israel here? First, he tells them, I want you to do this. I want you to take this lamb on the 10th day of the month. We know that month to be the month of Nisan. And for four days, we want, I just want you to examine the lamb, to watch the lamb, to ensure that the lamb has no sickness, no disease, to make sure that the lamb is perfect without blemish or spot. That is what I want you to do is just to watch the lamb. What is unique on the 10th day of the month of Nisan Jesus Christ enters into the city of Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey. For four days, he publicly teaches to all of the people and the religious leaders. And the gospel writers record this about Jesus Christ. He was found without fault. the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The second detail I noticed when I read these opening verses was this. He says in these opening verses to take a lamb of one year of age. Did you notice that? Look what he says here. Listen to it again. He says, and if the household is too small... Uh, for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each, each shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You notice that God didn't tell him to take a lamb six months of age or two years of age or a year and a half or to take a lamb a day before a year old or a day after God is very specific in his details with the children of Israel. You are to take a one-year-old lamb that is a male. I didn't know this before I began to study this passage of Scripture, but in studying this passage of Scripture, I came to learn a very important truth. The prime of life for a lamb is one year of age. Did you know that? I didn't until I started studying it. But I can assure you that the children of Israel would have known it. A lamb of one year. Scholars believe that Jesus Christ hung and died on the cross at 
33 years of age. The prime of life for a male Jew in the first century. Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life for you and I in its very prime, at its height. A lamb of one year of age, the prime of life. But did you notice something else here I noticed when I read these verses? It says, you shall kill the lamb at twilight. At twilight. Why didn't God say, kill the lamb in the morning? Or kill the lamb midday? But very specifically here in this passage, he says, when you take the life of the lamb, you take the life of the lamb at twilight. When we read the gospel of Mark and the gospel of John, we discover something very unique in those two gospels about the death of Jesus Christ. In Mark's gospel, it says, In the evening, the Roman soldiers came to break the legs of the thieves who hung on the cross. Now, it's hard to imagine this. That was actually merciful. That was merciful. You see, a strong man, a man in the prime of his life, could survive four or five days on the cross before he would die of asphyxiation. As long as he could continue to push his body up and suck air into his lungs, he could continue to draw life, breath. But when they broke their legs, they could no longer push themselves up on the cross. They could no longer draw breath into their lungs, and they died of asphyxiation as their lungs filled with the fluid of their body. It was merciful. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Don't miss this picture. It's an amazing picture. In the temple at twilight, the lamb was taken by the high priest. His throat was slit. Blood was collected in a bowl. He walked into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkled the mercy seat with the blood. He applied the blood of the Lamb to the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And at that very moment, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, the one who would sacrifice his life for us, drew his last breath on the cross for you and I. He died, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. At that precise moment, the chauffeur's horn would have blown throughout Egypt, Egypt saying that sin has now been paid for, you are forgiven. That's what we see in the Passover lamb. Isn't that amazing? When we think about this simple story here, the Passover lamb, a feast, a day, given to the children of Israel, serves as this beautiful picture of redemption for you and I. He said, kill the lamb at twilight. 
Go back to this passage of Scripture and listen to what else it says. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat of in any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall and you and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I passed through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all of the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I mean, this passage of Scripture is just filled full of one detail after another. But I want you to recognize one more detail in this passage. Listen to what what Moses, the instruction God gave Moses to give to the children of Israel. He said, the blood must be applied. It wasn't enough just to kill the lamb and eat it. Just killing the lamb and eating it would not have saved the firstborn. The blood had to be applied to the doorposts and the lintel. Only if the blood was applied did the death angel pass over. Don't miss this truth. It is such an important truth for our lives. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed on the cross, but it has no impact unless it is applied by the Holy Spirit to the heart of the person. It must be applied. I mean, you could spend a month of Sundays, just looking at all of the details that are explained here in this passage of Scripture and how very clearly Jesus Christ fulfills each one of these details. But in the time that we have left, in just the next few moments, I want to make three applications of this passage for our lives very quickly. First, as parents... The experience of God's redemptive work in our lives should give us a desire to pass our faith down to our children. Let me say it again. The experience of God's redemptive work in my own personal life should give me an overwhelming desire to pass my faith down to my children. Listen to what Moses told the children of the Lord under the instruction of God. Read with me in verse 21. Then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning." For the Lord will pass through to strike down the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your homes or your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right. 
as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck down the Egyptians but spared our own houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord. Did you see it in this passage of Scripture? He gives a very clear command, instruction to the fathers of the children. This is what you're to do. Pass on your faith to your children. Do you see that? You know, at times I think that leadership in God's church have communicated wrongly to people. Bring your children to the church and it will be our responsibility to instill in them the faith of God. But I will tell you this morning, that is not true. That responsibility has not been given to the church. That responsibility has been given to parents. As parents, we have been given the responsibility to instill in our children the truth of God's Word, to help them find their way in the faith, to help them understand what it means to trust Jesus Christ and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a privilege we have been given as parents to do that. The church is simply to reinforce and reaffirm what is being taught in the home. I mean, think about it for a moment, folks. Do you really believe Two hours at church during the week can undo 200 hours of the world. But isn't that what we believe at times? Isn't it? I will tell you this morning, the single greatest investment you and I will ever make in the life of our children is a spiritual investment. Our greatest desire as parents should be to pass on our faith to our children. I've noticed something about us parents, and I put, our, I put myself in this category. As many of you know, I have three children. But I've noticed something about our, us parents. This is what I've noticed. We tend to major on the minors and minor on the majors. We'll spend untold hours with our children teaching them how to hunt, how to play ball, how to uh, learn a musical instrument, and we'll spend a fraction of our time with them in the Word of God. And then somehow we expect them to grow up and become great men of women in God. But there has been no investment in their lives. Very clearly in this passage of Scripture, the responsibility was given to the parents, not to Moses. Did you see that? Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take all of the children of the parents of Israel and I want you to invest in them spiritually, Moses. That's what you're to do. You're the leader. What you need to do is to pour into their life. No, that is not what he said. Do you see that? That is not what he said. He said, parents. Now let me just stop here, all right? Everybody take a big breath, all right? Because I don't want you to think that I'm mad at you this morning. I'm not. Everybody take a big breath, all right? Now just look at me. 
This is important for us to all understand. Every one of our children at some point in time will grow up to be adults. And when they become adults, regardless of what we say or do, they will choose to make their own way in life. Can I just say to you, a lot of times that happens before they even get to adulthood. All right? We can do our very best to instill in our children the truths, principles, and the commands of God's Word, to pass on our faith. At the end of the day, every one of the little rascals have their own will. You see what I'm saying? Let me remind you of this. There were two children in a garden who had a perfect father, and they didn't do so well. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, at the same time, I want to be very clear about this. It does not absolve us of our responsibility as parents that God has given us in His Word. Do you see what I'm saying? We have been given the responsibility of investing in the life of our children spiritually. The experience of God's redemptive work in my life and your, your life should give us an overwhelming desire to pass our faith down to our children. Number two, because of God's redemptive work in our lives, holiness should be evident in every believer's life. Let me say it one more time. Because of God's redemptive work in our lives, holiness should be evident in every believer's life. You know, you hear that word holiness. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that word holiness? I don't know about you when I hear that word sometimes. It seems somewhat sanctimonious, doesn't it? A little bit stale. Can I tell you, in some Christian circles, they've kind of removed holiness. They say that's really not important anymore. Don't hear a lot of sermons preached nowadays on the need for holiness in our life, do we? No, we don't. I want you to hear what Peter said in 1 Peter, the first chapter, in verses 13 through 16. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." If God thinks holiness is important for His people, I would think His people should believe it is important for our lives. Now, we don't have enough time to read this passage of Scripture here, but if you go home and you read verses 14 through 20 of chapter 12, you'll realize that on the heels of the day of Passover follows the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Oftentimes, the word leaven in Scripture, leavening or leaven or yeast, whichever way you want to say it, oftentimes refers to sin. Now, I want you to see this picture, all right? The day of Passover was a picture of our salvation when the blood was applied to the doorpost. The feast of unleavened bread is a picture of the believer removing sin from their lives. Every believer is called upon in the power of the Holy Spirit to remove sin from their life. 
We need to quit wandering around apologizing to the world for being different. We should be different as God's people. We've been called to be holy, set apart, different than that of the world. We need to quit walking around apologizing for it. I hesitate to go there, but I'm going to say it. You enter some church houses today, you can't tell any difference between them and the world. Because what we have done is we have removed holiness from the lives of believers. We can approach God any way we want to approach God, in a flippant manner, whatever we want to do, any way without ever considering what God's Word tells us. I will tell you, that is a foreign concept according to the Word of God. Oh my goodness, that is foreign. That is not truth. There is a right way to approach God. There is a wrong way to approach God. It is very clear. You approach God, He is holy. He has made you and I holy in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to be a different world. When we have genuinely experienced the miracle of salvation in our lives, the power of the gospel transforms our lives. The holiness of our lives points to the redemptive work of God in our lives. Do you see that? It clearly screams, you are different. You are a different people. You've been changed by the power of the gospel. We shouldn't apologize for that, folks. We should jump up and down and shout it to the world. We are a different people because we serve a holy God. All right. We kind of belabored that point, didn't we? Number three, all right? In order to experience the redemption that God offers, a person must act in faith on God's Word. In order to experience... The redemption that God offers, a person must act in faith on God's Word. Now listen to what it says here in verse 28. I love the way this passage closes. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Did you see that? As God told them to do. What did the children of Israel do? They did as God told them to do. Do you see that in this passage of Scripture? Now listen carefully. Every family could have killed the lamb, roasted it, and ate it. And if the blood had not been applied to the doorpost and the lintel of the home, every firstborn son in Israel would have died. Unless the blood was applied to the doorframe and the lintel, the lamb would not serve as a substitute. They had to act on the Word of God. True saving faith takes God at His Word and acts on it. There was obedience. Their obedience was evidence of their underlying faith. Do you see that? As I thought about this last point, I was reminded of a story that I believe best sums it up. And I will close in sharing this story this morning. I read a story one time that I believe illustrates this point perfectly. A prominent soap manufacturer and a Christian were once walking along a city street as the Christian was explaining the gospel to the businessman. But the businessman objected. If what you say is true, why is there so much evil in the world? 
the Christian was struggling with how to answer when he saw a little boy sitting on the curb. His face, hands, and clothes were filthy. The Christian asked, I thought that you manufactured soap. I do, said the man. If that is so, why is the boy so dirty? The businessman replied, don't miss it. The soap must be applied. The soap must be applied. Exactly, said the Christian. The work of Christ on the cross must be supplied if it is effective for your and my life. Do you see that? If the blood is never applied to the doorpost and the lentils, every firstborn male in the families of Israel die on that day. But what did they do? They did as God commanded them. You see, the crucial question is this. Have you applied the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ to your heart? Listen to me carefully here. This is so very important. Believing in general that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin is not enough. Hear me say that. You must recognize your desperate need. You must be broken over your sinful condition. You must realize that you are living under the wrath of God and cry out to God in mercy, pleading that He would have mercy upon your soul for the blood of Jesus Christ to be applied to your life as a substitutionary atonement. Jesus Christ is indeed our substitutionary Passover lamb. And if our faith is genuine, then it will seek to help us to grow in holiness in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Man, what a powerful passage of Scripture. A story from the Old Testament. Never think for a moment that the Old Testament is not significant in the life of the believer. It teaches us so much about who Jesus Christ truly is. And you see, the real question this morning is this. Do you know the Passover lamb. Not the one-year-old male lamb, but the 33-year-old lamb that hung and died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you know him? Have you had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life? That's the only thing that can save you and change you and make you into a new creation is if you know Him. Father God, we thank You for Your Word and the truth of Your Word and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. What a great story here, Lord. It teaches us so much about who Jesus Christ is. Oh, Father God, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray, Lord, 
there's someone here today that's never had the blood of the Lamb applied to their life, I pray today would be the day that they would trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Don't let them leave here, Lord, I pray, without first coming into a relationship with you. Father, we give you this time and pray that you would be honored and glorified through it, that your name would be lifted up. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.